What's up, Redeemer City Church? This is Pastor Mitch, and I'm bringing you another bonus episode to the Redeemer City Church podcast. We've done a couple of these so far, but today you have an incredibly special treat as I have brought the one and only Camden Coon to the podcast. And me and Camden have been married for a little over 10 years. And since we're coming up on Valentine's Day, next Thursday, she's impressed that I remembered that, we are going to talk about marriage. I preached about marriage on Sunday, this past Sunday at church. That's just me. And so the rest of Redeemer City Church doesn't get to hear from Camden. You know, I appreciated that you told everybody on Sunday, especially all of the men in the house, that it was going to be Valentine's Day on Thursday. But what I was thinking silently while sitting in the front row, but was certainly not going to say it out loud, is our very first Valentine's Day together, you forgot it was Valentine's Day. It happened. I can neither I showed up at your dorm with a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts because you loved them, and you were like, Thank you. And then the day went on and the day went on. And I think at some time late in the day, you made a Target run and got me like a picture frame. That was our first Valentine's Day. I would like to point out that that was probably 14 or 15 years ago. And I think you just have a bad memory. Okay. I'm not sure that that ever happened. Okay. But it probably happened. Sounds like something I would have done 14 years ago. (laughs) But anyways, let's talk about marriage And I feel like after 10 years, all that we've managed to figure out is what we do wrong. For sure. Is that fair? (laughs) By no stretch of the imagination are we experts on this topic. We figured out a lot of things not to do. And we figured out some things to do, but more things not to do. And we're going to share those. But I want to start in this place. You are, or at least used to be... A hopeless romantic. Would you confirm that? Of course. Yes. So how did you feel about the first point I made in my sermon on Sunday when I said a love that lasts is a love that is built, not found or fallen into? Um, I think it's totally true. You know, growing up, my parents always taught me that love is a choice, but rather it's something that you choose every day. So I completely agree, but I I wouldn't ever want to discount that there is, like, chemistry that happens between two people, and that chemistry is, like, a God-given gift, and it's what makes us feel oftentimes like we're falling in love, and it's, you know, when that chemistry and all of those lovely reactions that are happening when two people first meet subside that you begin to make the choice versus just relying on all of the warm and fuzzies that happen at the beginning, right? I think so. Um, Is the warm and fuzzies love or is it something else? I mean, I think at the beginning it's attraction. At the, at the very beginning of a relationship, I think some of it is, is selfishness at its heart because what you're really in love with is the fact that this person has chosen you. And that makes you feel really good and that's a self-serving feeling. Yeah. And so... You, you, it's like a, it's like a high. You're feeling like this, this person chose me. That feels really good. And at its core, that's actually self-love. Um, but I think that there is, I mean, even in our story, there is for sure 
like God-given moments where he gives you a glimpse and intuition into the fact that, yeah, maybe this person is going to be the one. Now, I recognize that there are probably like single people out there who have felt that way like <laughs> 10 times, like this must be the one. And then you find out later, oh, no, no, that wasn't the one. But I think in a lot of stories, you know, God just gives you a, God just gives you a glimpse and a moment of intuition to the future where you feel like this this might be the one that I spend the rest of my life with so is that love at that point probably not because you haven't it hasn't had enough time to like fully develop but it's attraction and it's a moment that God gives you to begin to like submit a relationship that will develop in the future okay I have a question for you I'm ready I was thinking back for the record I have not heard any of these questions that Camden is going to ask me (laughs) (laughs) So because of, like, on that topic, when you said that I was a helpless romantic, and I remember in your talk on Sunday, you said that, like, one of these practical tips for relationships is to keep the fire burning, like, keep keep that romance alive. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear from you, Mitch Kuhn. <laughs> what are your top two, like, tips for romance? The first one that I would say to a guy who is looking for some advice, maybe a teenager or a young adult, is romance doesn't happen in an instant. So one of the differences, I think, generally speaking, and I could be wrong about this, but at least in our relationship, is that for a guy, romance can be turned on like a light switch and become just like instant. And whether that's visual or touch or whatever it is, it can be really fast for a guy. Those feelings can turn on really fast. So are you talking about romance or sexuality? Either one. Like the warm and fuzzies or, you know, something really simple could do that. But I think for a, a woman, at least in your case, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you would probably prefer that I show you that I love you all day long and that I'm thinking about you all day long and that is romantic to you or that you know that for like a date that I have planned it out long in advance as opposed to, hey, where do you want to go to eat? Is that fair? My love language is planning. (laughs) And I'm not a planner, so that's great. (laughs) Works out really well. That was one romance tip. You got to give us another one. A second one, I think we'd fall in the same category, but... I think there's an aspect of romance that I think is sometimes overlooked, even by myself, and not leaning into it maybe as much as I could, and that is the leadership role of a husband or of the male in a relationship based on what God's design is, that even though you are fully capable, there are times where you would prefer that I take a lead on something spiritual. Does that make sense? And for the Christian women, that's so romantic. <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. Like, like for, for like Jesus-loving women, that is a highly attractive quality to see a man lead in a spiritual manner that you need. And even if somebody, a friend or somebody, clicks on this and listens to us chat about this, because we have lots of friends that, that don't follow Jesus, but 
I think it's still true even in the case of someone who doesn't follow Jesus, and it stems out of that belief that we believe that there's a higher power and we've given our lives to Jesus. But just in the way men and women are, there that's why the movies and all these things out there in culture, it's very stereotypical for the guy to chase the girl. And so I think it's just built into the fabric of human beings and we would point that towards god and somebody else might point towards science or biology or whatever the case may be but i think the case and the point still stand that there's an aspect of leadership that is attractive if a guy uses it properly for sure 100 percent agree from like a you would probably call me a strong woman who is a leader like personality but that just means that I need somebody that much stronger leading me. So, yeah, we're we're like bridging into gender roles, and that's a <laughs> that's a whole other thing that we both I know like have a lot of opinions on, and some are traditional and some are untraditional. But it stands that absolutely, no matter how strong of a woman you are, I would like to speak for all the strong women out there to say to have a man who can lead you is. Romantic. But so is like candlelight dinners and roses. It's true. I thought you were going to give a tip like that. Um, I'm not going to give a tip, but I'd be happy to pat myself on the back for the last big date I took you on. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. That, fellas, was a good, that was a good word. Fellas, let me just say that a horse-drawn carriage is always a win. And I'll just leave it right there. I'm going to shift Especially gears. Especially when it took 15 years of asking. That's for another time. <laughs> I'm going to shift gears with you. So we've been married for a little over 10 years, 10 and a half years. 10 and a half years ago, when we got married, we made a decision that divorce would not be an option. That's pretty countercultural these days. From your vantage point as my wife, what does that mean to you that divorce is not an option? Um, I think it means that, like, when you're envisioning your future, that you can't envision a future where you're not married. Like, I, I can't envision a future where you're not a part of it. Every future that I think of is one that includes the two of us growing old together. There's, ne- there's never, like, a what if in my mind, like, what in my rational mind, like, what if we don't make it? It's making a choice to control your thoughts, really, and to always choose to think the best really of the other person and to be committed right for better or for worse which I know you talked about but I wanted to ask you like because I know that you we talked you talked about that in the sermon and we like 100% live by that have you ever had like a fleeting thought like I'm so angry right now I would divorce her (laughs) Has has it ever just like fluttered through your mind no it really hasn't That might surprise some people. And the reason Camden's laughing is because we frequently enjoy what Camden's grandmother used to refer to as intense fellowship. And uh, that's a code word for fighting. (laughs) We both have a few opinions about everything. And so that creates for some interesting moments as a married couple. But here we are 10 years in and it is entirely possible and I'm living proof of it that you can love somebody more 10 years into it than when you started. And I don't think that is like just a mushy thing. The more you get to know somebody and the more somebody knows you, 
the stronger that love can be. Honestly, I'm I'm really learning, and it became one of the points in my sermon Sunday. I'm really working on and trying to learn how to celebrate our differences because we're really different. Mm-hmm. Like we're really different. Um, I think some of that too, just like with longevity, when you've experienced stuff together, like you've gone through stuff. We have like gone through serious stuff together, yeah. and those experiences, I think, bind couples together in a way especially trials in a way that really nothing else can when you just live through hard stuff together and um that allows you to love someone in a deeper way than you probably did before that trial do you have to choose to let that draw you closer together because for a lot of people it drives them apart how does how does that work for you yeah i mean definitely in those there were moments in those seasons that i'm thinking of where we were for sure being driven apart or the enemy was just having his way taking up an opportunity to cause division or arguments but holistically when you come out on the other side of it you come out of it stronger you know there's nobody else that i've shared that experience with and that brings a level of intimacy that you know, I haven't shared, again, like I haven't shared that experience with anybody else so that, that we're bonded together in a way that I can't be bonded with any other person just right. through shared experience. Right. And I think part of that, too, comes from our worldview of following Jesus is that the Bible talks about when two people get married, that they become one. And I think those things that happen in life are illuminated by that fact that that you're one with your spouse but let's talk about our differences some more because you and i are so different first of all like what is your assessment of that and then i have two follow-up questions what's your assessment of how different you and i are we're very we're very different I can remember how much of it you said in the sermon, but, you know, I am an incredibly dominant personality, a big D, uh, in the D-I-S-C. The disc, disc assessment. D-I-S-C, yeah, disc assessment. I came out of my mother's belly that way, just very driven, very strong-willed, a lot of opinions. And these are things that I, like, totally recognize make me less lovable than I think the average female. (laughs) They're hard, but, you know, it's just hard, like, when it's inside of you not to let it out. It's just difficult. Um, Where you, I think, are much more measured in your responses. You are more withdrawn, hate confrontation, more impulsive, I think, than I am. Yeah. Because you just love spontaneity, and I am so type A and so planned and, like, so controlling. So, yeah, we're, like, complete opposites. That's my assessment. I totally agree. So my first question in response to that is, what makes life really hard because of that? in our marriage or in our relationship? What what is really difficult because of our differences? Mm. Just really like daily living. You know, we all this this is like more transparent than it is authentic, but we struggle a lot of times to work together in church stuff. That's always been hard for us. Primarily because we're opposites and because I am so opinionated, but I am not the leader of Redeemer City Church. So I have to submit in that way. And I 
am more of like a just take the bull by the horns and like change it. If I see something that I want to be changed, I'll just change it right now where you're like much more spiritual about your approach. More concerned about people's feelings. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the things in the disc assessment where it told me like you should care more. You should strive to care as much about people as you care about the task. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's like a huge that's a huge weakness. And I am more task driven than I am people driven, and that bleeds into marriage. And that's a that's a bad thing, and something that the Holy Spirit is going to have to grind off the edges. Fair enough. So then the second question is, because we're incredibly different, and I mentioned trying to celebrate our differences, what is really great about the fact that we're different? What makes our relationship better because we're so different? I think um, just the idea of balance and harmony, that you know, you could have two separate melodies that are, that are beautiful in and of themselves, but when you bring you know, an alto and a soprano together, they make such a more beautiful sound than they did individually. And that would be the case with us. I think that, um, yeah, the idea that we balance each other out and that you are reminding our family to love people and I am reminding our family to like, let's get something done. (laughs) Um, And like we need both of those things because if we just, if we just vision cast it all the time, which Mitch likes to do, like, who would do the things, all the things that have to be done to make the vision happen? We need each other. And I like to think that the two becoming one makes a more beautiful thing than the two were individually. Um, not from one of the points in your sermon, but I think that the dating folk would just love to hear your answer to this. What would you have done differently when we were dating? Hmm. I would have much faster attempted to learn how to communicate better (laughs) like and that might seem like a cop-out but i think you can confirm for the people listening that like that i just like that was not something that i ever worked on until i met you and sharing details so like one of the things from my sermon was about that how many words women use per day and how many words men use per day like and it was like twice as much for ladies and that's just a stereotype and that's statistics about generally generally speaking. But, I mean, that was me. Communication was a struggle for me. And I'd like to think I've gotten better at that. But when we were dating, I think that would have totally changed our dating relationship. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I remember those days. However, do you ever wish that I just wouldn't say the things that are on my mind now? <laughs> No, I always want to know what's on your mind, and I want it in its rawest form. I'm getting better at that. Being around you, that's rubbed off on me. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's just something that's like, if you sugarcoat it, it's, it doesn't feel true and authentic. Any, any sugar on top is just like, just say what you feel. Listen, I like a little sugar, all right? <laughs> so keep that in mind. So thinking again about marriage and some of the things that came up in the sermon on Sunday. One of the one of the big things was this idea of covenant and contract. As we look around our culture today, we live in a culture of options. We live in a culture of quick fix. We live in a culture of information. And really, we're like the first generation that ever had that, that we could like whip out our iPhone or our uh, Google device or our computer and 
get whatever we're looking for right away. And I think that that has played into a breakdown of family. For instance, I didn't share this on Sunday, but there's a 50% divorce rate, both in non-religious circles and in religious circles. So in the church, our divorce rate is just as high as outside of the church. However, when you dig in a little farther, it's really interesting. In the church world, the 50% divorce rate, when those people were pressed further on that, it revealed that only 1% of those married couples confessed that they prayed together with any kind of regularity, like over dinner or with their kids or together or at all. And that was really striking to me. What are your thoughts about covenant and contract and and what's the difference to you? I shared some stuff in the sermon about like mutual commitment versus distrust, uh, that covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility, where a contract protects rights and avoids responsibility. What, what are some of your thoughts on that? I think it's all about, you know, the the mindset that you go into it with, which is why I loved when you said, like, do not even think about a prenuptial. Because what you're doing is you're just entering a marriage saying, this might go poorly, and I better have a contract that protects me in the event that it does. So, you know, I think from the outside, from the outset, you are going into it with this mindset that, like, this is forever. I remember when we were engaged at like 19 and 20 we combined our bank accounts like we were we we were in it and truly believed that we would not be you know spending our our lives or or have the need to ever separate our money again so i think that the attitude that you that you go into marriage with is, is super important but you know the divorce rate being 50 percent inside the church let's just be real like marriage is hard it is super hard work and we have so many competing needs between kids and our jobs it is not gonna get great or better without intention so I I, I feel like I'm not like sh- shock. I mean I've heard the statistic before and I don't think it shocked me before that the divorce rate is the same inside the church as it is outside the church because yeah like w- we believe in a really powerful God but we're equally as screwed up as the people are in the world um, so it, it's not shocking because it just takes an incredible amount of intentionality and an incredible amount of work what is your advice for a single person who hopes to be married someday? Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that, just writing sermons for this series. And I think the first thing I would say is the church in general, like the capital C church, hasn't done a good enough job of saying that being single is totally fine. Yeah, that's a good word. That I think we accidentally, I don't think it's malicious or planned, But we accidentally portray that families are most important. Yeah, it's it's almost like an idolizing of the family unit that's happened a bit. Yeah, maybe in some circles, but I don't even think it's that far. Like, I I just think most pastors are married, and therefore they just default to think that way. And so I've been really challenged over the past couple of years just to think about all the seats at the table. 
you know, whether it's somebody who's single or somebody who's divorced or somebody who uh, is married or somebody who, you know, just what, whatever their life situation is and just, just thinking that through. So the first thing I would say is that this may actually be something that is good. Um, you know, the Bible certainly talks about there being advantages to being single. Jesus, of course, you know, himself was single. And so there doesn't need to be any pressure for anyone to get married. You don't suddenly become a better person. You don't suddenly become, you know, more advanced or whatever is the portrayal that's out there. But for somebody who does want to get married or hopes to get married, I think it's incredibly important to think through one of the things I said on Sunday that I didn't unpack a ton, but that I do think is very true, is that compatibility is a myth and that it's more about complementary. I think that is such a huge thing that, quite frankly, like when we were dating, I didn't even have a concept for. Like I, I wasn't looking at that. I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't praying about that. I didn't have any ideas about that. And God just kind of, you know, thanks, thanks be to him, but brought us together in like some pretty incredible ways. And I'm absolutely convinced because he knew what I needed. But compatibility, I think in some ways, can even like be a problem. And the way I said it on Sunday is that I don't need more of me. Like I've got plenty of me. I need what you bring to the table for our marriage to be successful, for, for our church to be successful. You know, it really boils down to that idea in the Bible that talks about Everybody that God created was created uniquely and for a purpose. And the Bible equates that to being the body of Christ. So, you know, one person might be a finger and the other person might be a nose. I would prefer not to lose either of those. You know, God just doesn't make mistakes when he creates people. He created us in his image, but we each have this unique expression of it. And I think that's such a good thing. And so... I would encourage somebody who's dating or wants to be married someday to look less for, you know, who am I compatible with and more like, who can I serve Jesus with? Who, who can I, who can I bring glory to God with? And then join the fight. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's not, don't have some glorified view of what marriage is going to be because it's really hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Yeah, that's good. And I think overall, you know, there's a recent psalm that just says to delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so I have to believe that if that is really your desire, like if your desire is to find a companion, that in God's timing, if you delight yourself in him, that, that he will... He will give you that desire. I have to believe that. Um, and I agree with that. I just think the the thing I would say to that is recognize that that's really hard. The delighting? Like the delighting in waiting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, because if you want to be married and that's just not happening, that is really difficult. I, th- I think it's just totally fine to acknowledge the fact that that is a really hard task Mm -hmm. that God asks some people to go through. And then I think if there's people who aren't married and don't care to be married, I would also say like that could be a gift from God. You know, like the Bible talks about, or the Apostle Paul in the Bible talks about, 
you know, some people being called to that life and that they can serve God in a, a unique way because they're not tied down to a family. But more on this on February 16th. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a whole sermon on it and just talk about some of those important things. So stay tuned for that. Let me ask another question here in response to that. As we think about all the differences that we have, and we've talked about some of that and what's hard, where where does the gospel fit into marriage? You know, you often say, and I, I do really think that it's so true that. Uh, we just have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And that's true in our marriage. And it's true that apart from Christ, we would not be together. I'm positive of it. Uh, because most people, I'm sure, would say that we're not compatible. And so I think it's just a it's a reliance on Christ to bind you, to uh, hold you together when maybe in moments that you don't feel like it. But then ultimately, it's just like this recognition that I'm a sinner, right? And I'm going to bring all of my baggage and all of my sin into this relationship. So I need Christ to redeem it. And it's just like a daily, it's a daily recognition of that. That's how I think the gospel fits in. I was wondering, you know, specifically in conflict, what do you, what do you think is the role of the Holy Spirit in moments of conflict? Conviction. I think for Basically, every human being, when you're in a fight, you're in a fight to win. Says the guy who always says he's sorry first. I do. <laughs> however, I'm not proud of that. However, but like in the moment, like when the fight or the conflict first happens, every human being, I'm convinced, our first reaction is, I'm right. Oh, yeah. And I think what the gospel does and what the Holy Spirit does is. You know, for some of us, it only takes, you know, a couple minutes and for other people, it might take a couple days. But what the Holy Spirit does is he works through your your strengths and weaknesses and he shows you that, you know, he shows you eventually when we are when we get to the point where we can surrender to that, that he shows you what part of it was your fault. Mm-hmm. And that's not fun. <laughs> but it happens. Right. And but just like all the more reason to that like we need to be listening and walking in step with the spirit in order to have a healthy marriage. Yeah. Because apart from that, we just stay stubborn, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> apart from that conviction and that drawing of ourselves to him, which ultimately draws the two of us back together and into a right And I actually think that's a gift from God, like the fact that we're flawed. Because mm-hmm. can you imagine if one person like wasn't flawed? I mean, like that wouldn't go well either. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, we wouldn't see our need for, for Christ. I still think we have some good like fighting rules, however. That's true. Those are important to not infringe on those rules. Yeah. Which are like, don't say always, never. And it's funny now, because even like... There's a couple times where we will start to say one of those and we'll stop ourselves now, now that we're 10 years into this, and we'll go, no, not always, many times. Or I (laughs) feel like always. I feel like you always do that. Right. Like we've qualified that now. Or if you're really, really angry, 
then it will just be like, no, I mean always. And then you're like, whoa, this just got real. That just level jumped. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But no, that's a good one. And you'll, if you'll commit to that, like that's, you'll be shocked how many times you throw out, you know, those types of phrases. I'm sure that there are couples way in Redeemer City Church that are just way better at doing the fighting thing than we are. They, they just have to do the conflict thing with more love and grace. Or they need to just let it all out and <laughs> let things get real. That's free advice from but the that's pastor. Not re- that would not be restraint and, like, godliness. Yeah, but I think there's – I think we have to learn to speak the truth in love. The, it, the Bible talks about love and truth, that you, you don't sacrifice one for the other. But that's what we have to get better at, right? Speaking the truth because we love that person. Mm-hmm. And you're not supposed to bring up past record of wrongs. Love doesn't do that. That's hard. That's hard. It's really easy to just pull a few out of your pocket and just <laughs> slap the other person around with them. Especially when I've been <laughs> keeping a nice long list. And, and, and it can really just augment my argument. Make it nice and good to where it just can't be beat. However you quench the Holy Spirit in that. <laughs> 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 All right. Well... The last thing that I said on Sunday when I was preaching was that our capacity to love comes from receiving love. Mm. And when I think about the gospel fitting into marriage and really fitting into relationships, period, we all have to wrap our head around. And you've heard me say it before, but that God loves broken people because broken people are all that there are. Mm-hmm. There, There's no such thing as somebody who's not broken. And so that plays into marriage in a big way. And if we can't keep that perspective, we'll be really unhappy really fast. Completely agree. Well, listen, thanks for listening. If that didn't help you at all, you can just delete it from your phone. And uh, But hopefully it encouraged somebody out there. And uh, we'll be back to do it again sometime in the future.